Hello and welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am not your usual host, John Negroni. He is out for this week, but it is your regular co-host, a writer for Cinema Blend and Cinemaholics, Will Ashton. But thankfully, I'm not alone this time. Once again, as you can probably predict, <laughs> based on he's usually here when uh, John is not. It's our good friend, Corey Woodruff. Hey, Corey. Hey, Will. What's going on, bud? Not much. Just uh, excited to talk about the movies. How about you? Yeah, I am too. We've got some uh, stone cold uh, classics. 2020 is off to a riveting start. Yeah, I mean, it is January, so that is uh, a teller for um, what we can usually expect for this month. But at the same time, I don't think we have a, well, we'll we'll, we'll get into uh, what we we saw in a little bit. Um, First, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive at cinemaholics.com. And you can also write into the show anytime by emailing us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail. And you can also support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons at patreon.com slash So we got a couple off topics. First, we're just going to do a little bit of catch up talking about what we've seen. Uh, Corey, you said you recently caught uh, Underwater, which is the Kristen Stewart movie I was talking about a little bit last week. Um, can you tell us a little bit what you thought of that film? Yeah, I thought it was decent. Um, it's one of those movies that like it's the bajillion. Hey, let's do aliens again yeah. type thing. And I. You know, I feel like if that weren't like a genre that has been done over and over again for the last 20 years, it would be like, oh, someone's doing a fun aliens homage. But I I don't really feel like that's even that unique anymore. Like, and I didn't think this was bad at all. Like, I actually thought it was a pretty interesting January creature feature. Now, I do hold January creature features in very high regard because that's when Cloverfield came out, which is one of my favorite movies of all time and experiences going into a movie. So it's like, I'd still think you can release great movies in January, but like this one was just very, it was fine. I enjoyed the third act a lot because I think that's when the movie started to finally get more confidence to kind of be its own thing. And then I don't, I don't know if we're worried about underwater spoilers, but there's a final monster reveal at the end that I think is just great. I was laughing in the theater. It was just an out of nowhere, like, you know, left turn into something so aggressively weird and big and strange that I was like, I am so glad that this movie that for a while seemed kind of mild and seemed very unwilling to, like, embrace its strangeness um, finally did that. And obviously, I don't think this movie is going to be remembered past this month. I think it's a pretty forgettable film, but I also think it's a very fun movie. If you kind of give it some time to build, um, this seems like one of those movies that like you probably can wait until like Redbox or like when it inevitably is like dumped on, you know, Hulu or something in the future and be like, oh, I watched that on an airplane. This is mm-hmm. this is a great airplane movie. As much sure. as I think it would be fun to see the ending on a screen, like I think this is a perfect example of a movie you like catch up with while you're, you know, flying across sure. the country or something. Yeah. I can see that. I mean I think I'm not too far from where you were. I, I talked about it a little bit last week, but I think for me the only difference is that I think I was more invested with the film in the beginning when they mm-hmm. just throw you in with like no yeah. real exposition dump or any like awkward character setup where it's just like characters walking around the ship and being like in our mission and so and so and then like you know like they have to like establish everybody 
for 20 minutes. I do appreciate this movie was like, you know, what you're getting here. You get the gist. We're just going to throw you right into like the 40 minute mark or the 20 minute mark uh, instantly. My only thing is I feel like I still never really got to know like who these people were. Yeah, that was my thing. And also, like, I feel like it still kind of followed the tropes of a uh, alien movie, like like alien knockoff like that, where it's like if they're going to do something that's a little bit subversive like that, I feel it would be better to continue being a little bit subversive like that instead just kind of felt like it had an interesting approach i do agree with you about the ending i think the ending kind of renewed my interest in it again but uh yeah i just feel like there's something like it's like two notches away from being like a really solid uh, yeah creature feature but i think it was okay i mean overall i was like fine on it like you were and Mm -hmm. i i I wouldn't dissuade anyone from seeing it but i agree it is fairly forgettable and i don't think it's one that's going to be leaving a long impression on me in the long run I could see it developing like a weird niche audience. It's like, hey, do you remember Underwater? Like, I, I could see that. It's it's a movie that would lend itself. And I think that William Eubank, who directed it, is probably going to get another project that's better. I thought it, I thought the direction in this was actually pretty good. I, I thought it was. That. I think that it was a very competently made genre film, and that he knows what he's doing. And um, I thought Kristen Stewart gave a really good mm-hmm. movie star performance. I thought she was one of the best parts about it. I was yeah. just disappointed that uh, Mamadou Athi wasn't in there for very sure. long. For all the screen time they gave T.J. Miller, it's like, <laughs> sure. But that was. I mean, I guess. If you didn't know, this was filmed like I'm talking to listeners. Long time ago, uh, yeah, yeah. This was filmed um, about three years earlier. I think mm-hmm. in like 2017 or so, before yeah. any accusations or allegations came out against him. So it does oh, wow, feel, yeah, it does feel this, like uh, uh, yeah, finished in 2007 of May. S- 17, you mean? Oh yeah, 2007. <laughs> this has been on the shelf for yeah. 13, 14 years. Oh man, even before <laughs> like Twilight kicked. <laughs> yeah, it's like they just knew. Oh, man. As far as they didn't, they didn't uh, go for it earlier, then like it would seem like mm-hmm. uh, like great yeah. when the Twilight craze is going, that would be perfect. But oh well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, did you have a grade for that? Um, I would probably give it like a B minus. Okay. Like, you know, it's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like about a C plus on it. Not far from you. Nice. Just kind of like I thought it was fine. Like like you said, like I think if it had maybe like one or two more things going for it, I'd, I'd be fine yeah. giving it a B minus. I felt like. It just wasn't quite there for me, but it was close. So I could see it being a rewarding flick, flick if you want something that's not. If it had had a better screenplay and yeah. more like more ambition, I think it would have been for sure a much stronger film. Yeah, I could see that. And then I just want to let everyone know that I saw Queen Slim, which I don't remember if we talked about this film or not on the show. It came out around like Thanksgiving, I think a little before Thanksgiving, right? In November. Yeah, um, roughly around then. Yeah, it has... um. Oh, what's uh, I, I'm blanking on their names, unfortunately, but uh, the guy from Get Out. Oh, Daniel Kaluuya. There you go. And then, then Jodie Turner-Smith. What was that? Uh, Jodie Turner-Smith. was. The yeah, and this is our first movie, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was written by um, what's her name? Leo Wythe? Lena Wythe? Yeah, so, yeah, she did uh, the show, the the, the, the shy. Right. On, um, and she was a master of none. Yeah. And she's also in um, Ready Player One, which some people might mm-hmm. remember her from. But uh, I believe it's her first produced screenplay if, as a writer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then it's also be. yeah, and then it's also the first feature from Milena Makowskusk. I apologize, I'm probably <laughs> terribly pronouncing that. But uh, I I think she's best known for being one of the directors on Lemonade, the Beyonce mm. project, and yeah. she has a primarily a music video background. The film itself is kind of like a uh, mix of Badlands and Bonnie and Clyde, where uh, this Tinder couple. He's driving home. There's interaction with a cop. It goes south. And then they're like on the run as outlaws. And 
it's certainly a film I really appreciate. I definitely like the beginning of it a lot. And I think the cinematography, the look of the film and the soundtrack and the performances are all really stunning. I think there's some shortcomings here where it definitely felt like a short film project that was expanded to a feature length film for me. Mm. And it felt like there was like a lot of padding throughout the film. And some ways that was interesting, some ways that uh, I, I felt like it got a little meandering. And there's a lot of decisions the characters make in here that like is kind of baffling <laughs> to me in, in a way that I don't mm. think they really justify. But I would recommend it for sure. Even though I do think, and the other thing is that I think the ending really falls onto cliches. Like the way you expect it to end is basically how it ends. Like, yeah, uh, to a uh, degree that I was not expecting as far as like being so inherent to the cliches. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're just looking for the performances here, and I do think it's a pretty solid movie overall, it's one I'd, I'd feel comfortable recommending. I was over to a B minus a B on it. Um, and I do want to see more from this director and obviously the cast as well. Um, the also who's also in the cast is uh Bokeen Woodbine, Woodbine uh, mm-hmm. who's great. He's really good in this. Um, Chloe Savini flees in this surprisingly. Uh, mm-hmm. A bunch of other people are as well. Um, so Sturgill I, Simpson is the cop. Is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, how about that? Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I would recommend it. It's probably out of theaters by now. I know I caught the last screening of it in the Pittsburgh area this week, so. My guess is that it's probably out of most theaters by now. I admittedly caught it late, but um, yeah, it's a solid one. Did you end up seeing this one, Corey? I did. I saw it, uh, I think, right after it came out, because that was one of my favorite trailers last year. It was a good and trailer, I, I, yeah. I don't, It doesn't surprise me, because um, Matsukas is such a good short form. Because mm-hmm. the formation music video is great. I mean, that's one of the definitive like music videos from like, the last decade. And um, obviously, Lemonade was a really revolutionary work for like long form kind of music storytelling. And I thought it was good, but it was kind of a movie where I was like, you know, this could have been better. It could have been a lot better. And it had all the elements of being like a great film. Mm -hmm. But it's like, this is her, this is Matsuka's first movie. It's Lena Waithe's very first like major screenplay. Like, I'm, I'm much more forgiving with it because I think it's got some really strong moments. For and sure. I just think that like for Mazukas, it's like she knew how to build some really strong moments, but it's like, I don't think it's as no her- narratively cohesive as it probably needs to be. And I think that um, you're right. Yeah. Some of the decision-making at times was like, what, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. hold on, let's not, let's not do that necessarily. But yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a solid film. I really, I would recommend it, but I don't know if I would necessarily watch it again. I guess it's also very unsettling. Like, and I think that that's mm-hmm. the, an effective part is that there are moments like I just can't watch this. Like, oh my gosh, sure. this is getting like really, it's getting very to a point where it's like, ooh, it's very uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. I think that accomplishes the theme. So I admire that about it. Yeah, I think you're right on the money with that. I mean, that's basically everything. <laughs> I was hoping to say with it, and um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely, I agree with you that there are so many moments in here that are really good and showcase a lot of potential and promise and the talents mm-hmm. of this young filmmaker. And I am really excited to see where she goes next. Cause I do think she has a really solid career. Either she continues making more movies or more music videos or what have you. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it's like you said, like all the elements are here for a great movie. It just doesn't quite reach that level. And unfortunately, but um, I, I do think there's a lot to really admire here and I would, I would recommend it pretty easily. And the other thing I was going to mention is that like, it really threw me aback 
Um, I had remembered, I mean, I remember when the movie came out, um, I heard that James Frey was involved as a story writer and producer, but when I saw the movie, I'd completely forgot about that. Uh, James Frey, James Frey, if you don't know, is the author of uh, the controversial book, A Million Little Pieces, which apparently got, uh, nominated or was adapted into a movie recently. Uh, and yeah, he was just randomly attached to this. He has a weird career. (laughs) Like it's just (laughs) a very crazy career. Like the million little pieces, um, I am number four, just a lot of weird things on his resume, I have to say. Yeah, that's just one of those guys where he's there. I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's the very least eclectic. Yeah. And I think he was like the main producer on it. So it's not like he was like an EP or anything. Like he was like, oh, the, no, yeah. He was like the main, like, or one of the main people involved, uh, frontline in this project, which I find even more weird and odd. Mm. But I don't know. That guy has a fascinating career. And, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, before we get into our main reviews for the episode, uh, Corey, you want to talk about the Oscar nominations that came out this week? I did. I am a big Oscar fan. So I've, that's probably one of my very first like major inventions into film culture it was like watching the Academy Awards every year and like, you know, doing my little ballot in entertainment weekly. And, you know, yeah. I used to skip school the day uh, after the Academy Awards. And uh, you're making I, me a I'll never forget one time. I remember doing that. Oh yeah. Very entertainment much weekly. Yeah. Yeah. It was so much fun. And uh, it's like, it's one of those things where like, I love it very much. I love the institution. I love what it means, but it, obviously as you get older, it's like you begin to understand more of how these things are won, what the films are that actually yeah. won. The politics. Yeah, exactly. And like when you're like 10, you don't understand of what a bad and good Oscar win is. You're like, right. oh, that person won. I want to watch that movie. And, you know, you're much more influenced by it than be someone that wants to influence it. And now as I'm older and I actually like watch a lot of movies every year and you have my movies I actually like. I and mean, then you see movies like Joker get nominated. It's like, oh, OK, <laughs> like this is how this works. And like Rami Malek winning for Bohemian or the reader getting the dark Knight stuff, which actually mm-hmm. changed the Oscars, which is such a fascinating yeah, thing. But then Wally, I think, right. The, the, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 2008 is the ultimate, because you might've gotten those two and Tropic Thunder in for best picture nominations, which would have been insane. But. Yeah. That'd been a weird year if they, if it was 10 noms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's on the prefer the preferential ballot, which is very weird for how it allots winners. Like it's just a very strange process, yeah. but obviously the institution of it is still so important and it's still a big deal to win an Oscar and it still means a lot, but mm-hmm. it's also not the end all be all. I think that it sometimes is portrayed to be sure, but, um, it's kind of an expected year. Nothing really shocked me for what was yeah. nominated. Um, you know, just to give you a recap, at least for Best Picture nominees, we have Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Um, and obviously, those are all films that we've, you know, I think both both of us have seen all of these um, yeah. at least once. And, um, you know, lots of varying qualities, but mainly, I think, a really solid group. I think that's the one thing this year no one's willing to to really kind of go for is that while there is the Joker and a lot of people don't like Jojo rabbit, like most of these are really good movies. Like, I mean, this is, this is not like a, you know, a year where like half the movies are stuff you don't want to watch. And, you know, it's kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Like there's some legitimate like movies we'll be talking about for like 50 years from now that sure. are this group. It's, it's a, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think's going to win best picture right now? Like I'm, I'm kind of on the fence myself. 
I mean, that's a fascinating thing is like, I feel like it used to be for a long time that the nominations would come out and it was basically like waiting for the inevitable where it's just like, oh, this is going to win and this is going to get some awards. And it's just like everyone else is just kind of buying their time and getting in tuxedos and dresses to to clap on the other winners. And now it's like maybe because there is the prefer or what do you call that? The uh, preferential ballot, preferential ballot. Um, where, yeah, you, you do have a little bit more variety and a little more films getting in, especially for best picture, um, that it, it does open up the race considerably, considerably, and it allows it to be a little looser and filled with more potential as far as who will win. But to answer your question, I don't know, cause I feel like part of me thinks Parasite has a really good chance of winning really too, yeah. because there's no, like, I think everyone who l- saw it has liked it as far as I've yeah. talked to. It's one of those films that everyone seems to enjoy to some extent. And that, that goes a long way, especially with the Oscars, where it's like, if everyone at least puts it at like fourth place or higher, it has a good chance of being picked for best picture, from what I can tell about the process. Um, another part of me also thinks that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might win because, uh, traditionally looking at movies like The Artist and a few others, like Hollywood really loves movies about themselves. About mm-hmm. movie making about Hollywood. Um, it's a fairly, uh, self-indulgent city. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. that's a shock. Uh, but I do think it's a really good movie to be clear. And I also really like Parasite as well. Um, so I'd be happy with either of those winning. Um, I could also easily see 1917 getting it because, you know, that, that is the kind of flashy movie that I think the Oscars tend to like. Cause it's very much like this is movie making type movie. Uh, and you know, it's hard to deny the craftsmanship of it. I'm not the biggest fan of 1917, but I do think it's a good film. And I, I do think it is easy to recognize what works in that film. And I, I, I can tell from the nominations that are thrown at the film that the Academy is really liking it, even giving a screenwriting nomination, which I find kind of ludicrous for that movie to be blunt, but, um, that's neither here nor there. And, I don't know. I mean, that's like the other thing is like, I could also see the Irishman or the Joker winning. I mean, it's kind of hard to say for right now. I mean, it will get a lot easier to determine, uh, the next couple months, but I feel like at least half these nominees have a decent chance of winning it. Yeah. I'm in a weird spot. I did a big kind of look at all the stats the other day. And the one stat to me that hasn't broken in a very long time. And the only year it really broke in the last like goodness gracious like 25 years was when million dollar baby made its like very last minute surge to best picture yeah which is was such a weird situation in and of itself because that movie didn't get finished like the very last minute and you just caught eastwood movie <laughs> oh yeah exactly like he's he was probably very bad at keeping deadlines in school because he just loves to get a man right under the gun but what do you think he's um, bad at it because like didn't he doesn't he finish his movies fairly early that's true. Maybe he's just like, he doesn't really, I don't think he really cares about awards. I don't think that really ever comes to his mind. I think he just all. makes movies pretty fast. And, <laughs> and Warner Brothers is like, we can use this to our advantage. Just like, we can put yeah, it Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's got his movie this year. I mean, Richard Jewell got a supporting actress nomination, yeah. so it made a dent. But um, uh, I, right now, like, the way I look at it is the BAFTA 5. Every year, no movie in, except for 1995 and 19 or 2004 in the last, like, 25 years. Only two times has a movie won Best Picture that was not nominated for Best Film at the BAFTAs. Um, and the five for the BAFTA this year were Parasite, Hollywood, 1917, Joker, and The Irishman. Okay. So yeah. I think Best Picture will be one of those movies. Right. That makes um, sense. 
I think that Hollywood is the front runner, and I think for very obvious. I know it didn't get an editing nomination, but I don't think that Fred Raskin. I don't think it's a movie you go for the editing necessarily, because um, it's just like three stories that are kind of connected into each other, and like I don't know. Ever since Sally Minky died, Tarantino hasn't done well with the editing branch. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, think his other movies have been poorly edited, but it hasn't yeah. been the same without without her. Oh no, not at all. So. And the last movie to win the Oscar and not be nominated in editing was Birdman, which obviously is a one take film, but also a movie about the industry. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if like that's the common theme. Um, Hollywood is everywhere. Like it's gotten every major nomination in every mm-hmm. group. It's a very strong craft film. Obviously, very. It's probably going to win the ensemble award at SAG this weekend. Um, uh, you know, I think that all five of those movies can make a case for themselves, and I think that The Irishman really can usurp that Netflix inherent bias that people may have. Um, yeah, Parasite very much could. Everyone seems to have seen it, which is important, and it getting an ensemble now with SAG is huge. Which and if Parasite wins the ensemble thing Sunday, I think that people really need to start taking it seriously. Um, because Do you think people aren't taking it seriously? I think that there's a lot of people that think that it won't win. And I think that people need to really open up to the idea that Parasite really could win Best Picture. Sure. Um, the way I think it'll go right now, though, I think Hollywood will win Picture, and I think Sam Mendes is going to win Best Director. That would be my best guess as well. Because I think Mendes, if you look at all the directing wins recently, like you got your Quarones and you're going to beat those, yeah. and Damien Chazelle, like it's all of these. Uh, craft friendly guys like last year was um one best director last year uh who was it it was uh Cron, right for yeah Roma? Cuaron, yeah for roma and then you had um steve mcqueen no Cuaron won in 2013 they didn't give it to mcqueen for 12 years of slave um then uh 15 was Inaritu again and then you had oh del toro won in 2017 because right. it shape of water matched so yeah um uh, yeah i think that right now um parasite could not win any big awards which would feel weird but um i, I think bong could win director very easily Well, it's gonna win best foreign film undoubtedly oh, yes. oh yeah very much so i mean that's gonna be one of the locks of the night but um you know i guess in your top eight i kind of hope it has a chance it's screenplay but i feel like they'll go for tarantino i mean knives out would be my personal pick but um i think that tarantino's already won and bong joon ho is obviously really ascending into that auteur status and it would be fun to see him win something yeah but uh then for but hey foreign best international film is a very like the the history of their winners there are all just like this murderous row of just all these great films that have never really gotten that oscar shine so mm-hmm. and best picture outside of roma maybe recently so you know, I'm I'm hoping for some interesting stuff to happen, but I feel like right now, and for the acting, I feel like all the acting should be easy to predict because Joaquin Phoenix is probably going to win for Joker yeah. um, for like a career award, which is a perfect movie for the example of where people give Oscars to the great actors because Phoenix is absolutely like a generational talent. For sure. And Joker is like a perfect example of a movie that's just like, eh, he's all right. It's, it's flashy. It's mm-hmm. the kind of performance that wins Oscars. So yeah, you now it's something different from Leo and the Revenant or Gary Oldman and Dark Darkest Power. I mean, it's just very, you know, Oscar ready. Sure. And then um, I guess Renee Zellweger is going to win for Judy, but I'm not going to be surprised if uh, Charlize Theron. Yeah. yeah oh, Charlize. That's Scarjo. Yeah. Mm. No, that's the interesting thing. I think Scarjo's best chance is going to be in supporting actress. 
that's hmm. my hot take. Uh, I feel Maybe. like Marriage yeah. Marriage Story feels primed to be one of those movies that doesn't like gets a lot of nominations but doesn't win anything. I could see that for sure. Um, do you think that Zellweger is as safe as people say she is, or do you think that somebody else could get that? I feel like she was safe in like September. Yeah, but I haven't seen anybody really talk about her performance in like a few months. Like honestly, yeah. I kind of forgot about the movie until the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, Renee Zellweger is a she. She was gonna be. She was a front runner at one point, and she might still be. I don't really know. It's weird. Yeah, I just don't know how much like she's already won an Oscar. So can you really do the comeback narrative that much? I mean, I get that she hasn't worked in a while in a major way, but like. I mean, it's it's a commendable achievement. I think the movie is actually pretty solid, and she's really good in it. But yeah, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people were pretty hard on it. I thought it was all right. I mean, I, I yeah, it. It, the scenes where she's like performing in the theater, I think, are really, really good. Yeah, like, the I mean, Academy likes those type of like those type performances as well. Very much singing so. ones. Yeah, I wasn't really impressed with the Ronan Bombshell. Like, I just yeah. the movie didn't really register with me very strongly. I think it's a decent movie. I just don't think that performance was nearly as good as what Margot Robbie did, who also got nominated. I just don't, the movie is just kind of, uh, it's there. It's like any of Jay Roach's like, yeah. Output in that regard. I thought it was HBO movies. Better than this, honestly. Right. I mean, honestly, I think, I don't know if I really talked about it yet on, on the show, but I think bomb shows kind of bad. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a good film. <laughs> and it's way I, too invested in the wrong things at times. Yeah. Like, it just felt like, I mean, it's obviously an important story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense that they wanted to tell it, but I think the way they went about it felt way too commercial, especially for something like this that should not yeah. be commercial at all. Um, and I know, like, I was talking about this without you or somebody else. Like, you, you take a movie like Spotlight, which I think handles the subject matter perfectly, and I, I think that movie really uh, does well with while being sensitive and dramatically compelling. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of that film. I know people kind of have mixed feelings towards, it, I guess. Winning best oh, picture, I love but, Spotlight. Yeah, that's a but, great best picture winner. But um, yeah, I mean, I just like I, I look at that film and how well that movie handles the subject matter, and then I look at Bombshell and I'm just like, I, it, it felt like a like movie that was trying too hard to be like The Big Short, and mm-hmm. I, don't know, I agree with you. I think of the nominees in that category, Charlize is probably my least favorite. I mean, I think she's a great actress, but that performance is not my favorite of the nominees, uh, to say the least. I think it's more impressive for the makeup than her performance itself like i think the way they transformed her into uh megan kelly is really impressive um but i i mean the performance i was i think it's not bad but i, I wouldn't give her an oscar for that one and oh um, no and yeah. she's been much better even last year i thought she was much better in long shot which is a movie right. that kind of got overlooked which i thought was really good yeah i would agree with that and um, then um i guess if you get a supporting actor uh brad pitt seems to be the easy one there um this is like the third oh yeah i think brad pitt's gonna like walk away with it probably Hmm. but um it'll be the third quentin tarantino supporting actor in his post inglorious career that um has won the award because waltz won it twice for that in django and then i'm guessing brad pitt will win this it seems like that's going to be another one of those like supporting actor victories that like kind of is seen from a mile out yeah i just wonder if the irishman performances are going to sneak up interesting i don't know like i could see pesci or pacino kind of stealing this interesting but but i don't know i mean that's because i think i mean they're they're both obviously past winners and Mm -hmm. i think pitt has won oscar but for being producer if i'm not mistaken so he hasn't won anything for acting so i mean it's possible and then you also like 
it's a category full of people who've won an Oscar for past performances and Brad Pitt. So he's kind of like the, the, the one man out in that regard. Mm-hmm. So that, that could also work in his favor. And like you said, Tarantino does have a history of getting supporting actors Oscars. So it's, it's not out of the question, I would say. But I yeah, and I'm also about. happy in that category. They finally remembered that Tom Hanks exists, which sure. is great because he had been snubbed for Academy Awards for. I don't think he gotten a nomination since Castaway um, for yeah, any of his first ones. Yeah, yeah, which is insane because I mean mm-hmm. that's like this generation's Jimmy Stewart. Like, yeah. come on, like you got to give Tom Hanks something. Well, but, he got pretty close with Captain Phillips, right? I think he, he just did, like yeah. he like edged out. He was like probably the sixth on the ballot. Probably so. But yeah, it's been a long time since he got nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Larry Crown nom <laughs> didn't didn't cut it. Uh, only uh, only true cinephiles would ever really remember the true greatness of Larry Crown yeah. and his his uh, moped adventures. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm still I'm still waiting for Larry Crown two. <laughs> Larry Crown two, the crowning. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, I can basically agree with you. Did we talk about supporting actress? Well, we talked about Scarlett. So. Yeah, we talked Briefly, about. Yeah, but I guess uh, that's my surprise pick. I think that she could win for Jojo Rabbit. That performance is very Oscar friendly to me. Sure. But I think that Laura Dern will probably be the favorite. Yeah, she seems to be the front runner right now. Is Dern? Yeah, so I guess Marriage Story would win something. Yeah, which I mean, I feel like like I thought Dern was really good, but I don't know if she was like Oscar worthy good. But I feel like this is another one where it's like, I think everyone really, I mean, for obvious reasons, I think everyone really likes Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone was just like, oh, well, obviously Laura Dern deserves an Oscar. Yeah, and, I think so. It's, and it's like it's a very, uh, you know, I feel like people know that character in their real life. Like it's a very industry recognizable character of kind of someone who's in Hollywood and kind of right. handles a lot of you know, divorce proceedings. So yeah. I don't know, maybe there's like some relatability there of like people being like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's that person. Yeah. That's a really great embodiment of like this sure. archetype that I know. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess for me, the nominees, I'd probably pick Florence Pugh for little women, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I could, I, I, my prediction is that Laura Dern's probably going to win it, but I could see ScarJo getting it. Although mm-hmm. it's weird. Cause I think ScarJo would probably be my pick for like who would want to win for best actress. Yeah, me too. For Marriage Story, but she's also the person I at least want to win for a supporting actress for JoJo. So <laughs> it's like this weird, I have this weird conflicting feeling about her being nominated. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really support the one nomination and I really against the one nomination. So I don't know. I guess she gets a Oscar. I mean, there's a decent chance she'll, she'll get an Oscar this year. So yeah, I, think I so. mean, I could always, I could do like Felicia Vikander where I'm like, this is your Oscar for Ex Machina. I don't care that they said the Danish girl. This is <laughs> exactly. I'm just going to cross it out and put something else yeah. in Sharpie. So, uh, anything else about the Oscar noms you want to talk about? Uh, maybe just some like parting thoughts. I thought sure. the animation group was pretty strong this year. Um, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, Klaus, Missing Link, and Toy Story 4. Not a bad one in the bunch. Um, he... Yeah, I wasn't crazy about How to Train Your Dragon, but. Um... Really? Interesting. The new one? Yeah, I was kind of Good. so-so on it, but I like the ending of it a lot. But um, yeah, I haven't seen Klaus yet, much to John Agroni's dissatisfaction. I haven't seen I Lost yeah. My Body yet, but... Oh, man, you got to get those both. Yeah. They're both really good. Yeah, I've heard they're really good. Um, Toy Story 4, I-, I liked it. I didn't love it as much as the last three, but I, I dug it. And Missing Link, I'm just happy that a stop motion movie got nominated. It's not my favorite like a film, but I mean, if it's if it was this or Lion King, 100% would have picked Missing Link. Yeah, exactly. Or even Frozen, or this or Frozen Two, I would have picked Missing Link absolutely. So I'm I'm happy for it in that respect. 
Yeah, I was glad to see No Frozen too. I didn't think that movie deserved to be in the category. It's a good movie, but I don't think I think that these were all better. Nice. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, like I said, I still got to check out those other two, but um, I've heard many good things about both of them, and I'm excited yes. to see them. Yeah, and they're both very accessible too. Right on yeah, Netflix. yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, I think it's that becomes my problem though, is that like it's become so accessible and so easy for me to watch that it retroactively mm-hmm. becomes harder because it's like, oh, I can just put that off. Like I can get to this instead, or mm-hmm. oh, I might as well see this one because you know it's only going to be in theaters for a little bit, and then then you know it just gets buried down. Like I still haven't seen The Little Prince, and uh, <laughs> oh, I never watched that either. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just there, and then you just forget about it. Yeah, and I've I was really excited about that, and I was just like never mm-hmm. got around to it. But yeah, to watch that finally one of these days. But um, I think that's that's a good wrap up for the Oscars. Unless there's anything else in particular you wanted to mention about it. Um, the only thing else I'll say is that we might actually get Thomas Newman's first Oscar this year, which I think would be a pretty big deal. Oh yeah, what's is that for 1917? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a score I really liked. I know yeah, I, like I the kinda, score for it. I kind of fall into the group that likes movies that have scores like that. I kind of like because Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie, and obviously. Thomas Newman did the score for that, but I just, I always like it when these industry people that have been around for so long and they haven't really gotten their Oscar yet. And I think that Thomas Newman would very much qualify for that because you've yeah. got like most of his competition in that category. Like Randy Newman's one, John Williams is one mm-hmm. lot. Alejandro Jespa has won a lot recently. Um, and then uh, the young, the um, young lady that did Joker, um, Hildur uh, Guantapir. Oh, yeah. She might. Yeah, yeah she, she has a decent chance of winning it. I think she does too. I think that that could be a movie that very much wins. And I don't, I don't think the score to that movie is particularly amazing. I didn't I like understand. It. I think it's it works. Good. It, it's just it works for the movie. I just I don't know. And while it, I think it would be really cool to see a woman win that award because I don't think that's ever happened before, or it's not happened in a long time. Um, in the history of best original score. So, I mean, I'm all for kind of widening the margin there, but uh, that, that particular, Oh, no, that's happened before, but that's back when they used to split up, um, uh, the, the, uh, I didn't realize this. They used to do an original musical, like the original composing stuff for drama and musical or comedy, which is, I had no idea they used to do that. Did you? Um, no, I, I, if I did, I forgot about it. Interesting. But I mean, obviously, I don't think there'd be a bad winner in that bunch. But composing is always one that I always pay attention to because I'm a big fan of the way music interacts with film. But I'm kind of pulling for Thomas Newman because I think that would yeah. be a good one. I mean, I will say when when John Williams got nom for the new Star Wars, I was like, really? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing against John Williams, but I also kind of felt like it's kind of automatic. Yeah, it was kind of a weird choice. I feel like it's just like, well, we got John John Williams for something. It's like, well, here's an interesting yeah. question. He turns 88 next month. Yeah. Um, is that his last score? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'm, um, I'm hoping he would yeah. do uh, indie next year. Well, see, he usually does um the Spielberg movies, right? Yeah, but uh, West Side Story. I feel like we already have a composer for that. Do we? It's not John Williams. Uh, no, he's not. Because uh, obviously Leonard Bernstein did the music, but right. um, yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like right now. Um, no, no, John Williams is not doing the score to West Side Story. This is this is um, Spielberg's fifth movie without him. Oh wow! Uh, it looks like that. Yeah, uh, this guy had done. Well, here's my thing. West Side Story, you don't really need a score because it kind of right. comes with music that you can use. Yeah. Um, but this is the guy that did the score to very interesting recent filmography: A Christmas Story Two, um, uh, <laughs> Army of One, the Larry Charles film. Oh jeez. Uh, 
Girls Trip, which is a good comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't really School. remember the score for that, but okay. And the television series Green Eggs and Ham. Huh. All right. And well. yeah, so uh, he also did the most recent Big Mama's House film. So oh. that's. Uh, and Spielberg, I trust. Yeah, this is the guy that did the score to Norbit. So that's okay. Interesting. And uh, the the good Serenity with Joss Whedon. <laughs> hmm. Right, well, yeah, so what a what a trajectory for him. Yeah. Um two other things I'll just note real quick is I think the um nominations for original song this year are pretty bad. Yeah. On the whole. Good. I mean I like the Randy Newman song and uh Stand Up is decent, but yeah. Harriet. But did you see Harriet? I never saw it. I did. It, it I thought it was pretty much a missed opportunity for Harriet. Yeah, I think so. That's that's what it seemed to be. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that Cynthia Arriva was good, but yeah, no, she is. She, I, I think her nomination is, is mm-hmm. justified, but um, I don't think it's a very would, good film. Who would have thought the movie Breakthrough would have gotten nominated for an Academy Award? That's a, or Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Yeah, exactly. There's always like a couple. More than Uncut Gems. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be remembering Maleficent, uh, Mistress yeah. of Evil, much more than Uncut Gems, though, for the history yeah. of, the, of, the, of the art. Sure. Um, and also, I think, I mean, we kind of alluded to this but sidestepped it i think it's pretty safe to say that deacons is a, a yeah. lock for best cinematography although it would not shock me at all if uh, joker wins that that's possible i mean but i feel like if site Teen is gonna win anything it's probably yeah. gonna be cinematography direction like sure, i said is right. yeah it's certainly um on the table maybe like some sound mixing or editing noms or wins i mean but uh I feel like cinematography is like the main show for that film. It's like oh. cinematography, of the movie. So. I don't know why I thought this. I thought Roger Jenkins was older than he was. He's only uh, 70 years old. Yeah. But he's still got some, some still, uh, still, daylight in front of him. Still a young whippersnapper. That's right. Still a young fella. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's all everything I have to say about the Oscar nominations this year. As far as I can tell. That um, works for me. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously we'll talk about this more when the awards are getting near, which are, pretty close i mean it's only like less than a month away now so yeah they're coming up earlier than usual this year so that's gonna be weird but uh that i guess it gets things out of the way fairly quickly so yeah better for worse that will be the case uh and then also you wanted to talk about a show i love and i just caught up with a little bit earlier today which is uh adult swims second season of joe paratox with you Yes, and you're the one that got me into this, and I am forever thankful for that because oh, yeah. it's become like my favorite TV show on television. Like it's, it's great, it's amazing. It's um, yeah. I mean, I've I've talked about it a decent bit on the show, and I don't know if I've convinced anyone else to watch it, but it's really, honestly, one of the best things I think that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. And I I can't say enough nice things about it. I just caught like four episodes today, and I could watch I could watch a show like all day if I could. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, it's I. I want the show to go on for for years to years to come if it can. But was there anything in particular you want to talk about? Yeah, you know, I know that last season the episode with uh, Baba O'Reilly was the kind of the one that really yeah. got it. Some pretty Para reaches the church announcements. I think it's called. yes, which was great. Yeah. And this season, I think the closest thing that we've got it to would probably be. Um, the grocery uh, store one? Yeah, I think so. The grocery store one kind of combines that and the the breakfast episode, which is yeah. also really popular ones. Um, yeah, well, it comes. it's written by Connor O'Malley, who wrote the the diner one, so that makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, 
and I liked uh, the one that Dan Lydica wrote. Um, Joe Joe Perry goes to Dave Bojack's bachelor party with you. I that was, was good, good, yeah. And it's been a really strong season. Um, yeah. The one thing about this show that I think I kind of overlooked in the first season that really has really caught my eye is Marty Shalspo, who directs every <laughs> single episode. Yeah. These, this is a really well-directed Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think he really could have a strong narrative career once he kind of gets that Sundance movie, I'm sure, opportunity going. Um, he reminds me a lot of Alexander Payne for some reason. I can see um, that, yeah. Cause, uh, like a little it, bit of like pain by way of Anderson, I guess. Oh, yeah, very much so. Wes Anderson, I mean. He's kind of like, you know, taking that Anderson twee, you know, item focus. Yeah, yeah. like kind of symmetrical camera work and like, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know, it, this this whole show reminds me a lot of the movie Nebraska. It does, um, yeah, I can see I that. Loved. Yeah. yeah, I thought I think Nebraska is a wonderful, wonderful film. And I don't know, I, I just, I feel like Adult Swim is supportive of it. And the way that it has grown, I mean, it's maintained a very consistent audience, I guess. I mean, it may be dipping just a little bit, but looking at the, it's got like at least a half a million viewers every episode, which for, for a very low budget show like this is encouraging. Yeah. And it's got like a following, so I'm hoping that Adult Swim, like you know, maybe sometime next year, will be like, yeah, we can have you do more of these. Why not? So that's what I'm hoping, and the way that it continues to grow and get better, like maybe this is like Adult Swim's like flagship art show, like because I know right. that Ricky Morty is what makes their money, but um, I don't know. I just I would hate for this thing to not make it past this point. So oh yeah, I mean I'd, I'd be severely bummed if this is the end, but I'm, I'm not hoping that's the case because I feel like. I, I think from what I can tell, like the social media and general cultural interest in Joe Para reached the church announcements secured mm-hmm. the second season. Like I think that episode, it's not, I mean, I don't quite like it as much as some people do, but I do really like it. Mm-hmm. And I do think it, it's easy to see why it was the episode that took off and why it, it has proven to be the like most, uh, the most well-received episode of the season or the series so far, but I don't think there's quite been one like that. I think intentionally so, because the season seems to be a lot more um, reserved and kind of intimate in a way that I think the last season was just like kind of trying to get you acquainted to like the style of it Mm -hmm. and who Joe was as a person. I think now that's kind of set up and the show is kind of more willing to play around with like the supporting characters and the like humble Midwestern town. That's the setting of it. And yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a show that I, I'm glad it has half a million viewers. Cause I feel like that was more than I anticipated. Like, it feels like this, like kind of weird, like public access show yeah. that like, it has like this feel where it's like you, like only 15 people would know about it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. but when you know someone else who does know about it, like you do, it's just like so easy to, um, get enthusiastic about it. And I oh, think yeah. anyone who watches it, I think once you get the hang of it and get into its rhythm, it's a pretty easy and accessible show to watch. Uh, more than I think some people will initially anticipate. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Like, I think it's a pretty low risk show for Adult Swim. Like, it, it's getting it has a fan base, like you said, and, and it isn't really too costly to make. So I can't see it being uh, any sort of challenge for a third season. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what their expectations are for the season in comparison to last season. And I don't really know, like what like what they perceive to be a success is if it's more like social media interests all like too many cooks or if it's like um you know like people just being interested in it at all but um yeah I, I definitely agree with everything you just said about it and it's um i also i mean marty i don't know uh if what's his how you pronounce his last name 
believe it's Shousebo. Shousebo. Um, I don't know if he's done anything else besides this. I'm, either, I'm sure he has, but yeah, I could see. Very talented. Yeah, I, I definitely could see. If, I mean, it's like a double-edged sword where it's like, if he does make a movie, I'm sure it's going to be really good and funny, but it'll probably prevent him from making this show. But I don't yeah, know. One he's, thing such, that he's such a busy me, bee, but maybe he yeah. can do both. But what were you going to say? One thing that encourages me is that Adult Swim seems to have really invested in this because oh, yeah. they had the uh, infomercial with the Christmas tree yeah. and then the talks to you in the sleep. Like, right. I feel like that they probably take some pride that they're watching these people grow. And I feel like that this like collective of talent, like uh, also with Connor O'Malley, Joe Firestone, Dan Lydica, now with uh, Nathan Min getting in there. Uh, I thought that uh, Katie Dolan's episode with the fish fry was really good. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of budding talent that i think this style of comedy is going to get more and more popular as time goes on it's mm-hmm. kind of very unironic you know authentic but also kind of weird where you can see the winking here and there but it also just loves the concept of itself so much and i think that like there's just not like because you see like rick and morty which is like the pinnacle of cynicism um in and of itself for kind of their style of humor and i think that style of humor is beginning to kind of blend away a little bit hopefully for more of stuff like yeah I, I do think there's something that like it, it's a weird mix of like the irony that has been the currency of comedy right now and yeah. but like people are also looking for something that's like more sincere and humble because of just things being just so negative and yeah. terrible right now they want something that's sweet like this it will make you happy. And I think that's the thing that's the most powerful thing. Like this show makes me feel good. Like, oh, yeah. Every time I sit down and watch it, like I am in a better mood. Like it It's like a millennial like, Paddington. <laughs> oh yeah, very much. Like I think when we first came on, it's like uh it's like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's an easy comparison for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very calming show. Like it's just it's like it, I think it's it, it's a very intelligent show too. It's very wise. I think that it takes like things like going on a hike and growing beans and going to the grocery store and teaching people how to play the piano. Like it takes all these little moments in life. I think that we take for granted mm-hmm. and adds a lot of weight and momentum to them. And I don't know. I think it makes me appreciate more stuff like that. So I have yeah. I've learned a lot more about life from it, which is not something you usually say for an adult swim. Right. You know. 10 minute show mm-hmm. 11. Yeah. I think it's like 11 or 12 minutes, which mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, low commitment, you could honestly get through like the first season in a day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope somebody else, I mean, I, I'm just hoping more people watch the show. Honestly, I, I want it to be like Joe's bean arch. I just want to keep it growing. I don't want anything bad yes. to happen to it. It's this little ecosystem that I'm, I'm very protective of and I want it to be successful and, and I want it to just be its sweet little, uh, idiosyncratic self. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, can't say enough nice things about it. And, uh, I'm glad you dig as much as I do. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite thing. I, I'm so happy that we've still got one, two, three, four, five episodes left. So yeah, they've been doing two, two a week. Mm -hmm. So we got about, what was it like two, how many episodes are a season? 23. Yeah. And it looks like that next week's maybe, um, an extended episode probably because it's, it's, it's got, it's only happening one for that night. So I'm hoping that it's actually kind of like a longer episode. Oh, okay. Well, it's kind of what the season finale for the first season was. It was like a 30 Mm -hmm. minute episode. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, like I said, can't say enough nice things about it. I'm glad Mm -hmm. you did as well. Let's get into something that's decidedly not quite like, yeah. uh, Joe paradox with you, which is our main review for the week. Do little, (laughs) Oh boy. Um, so where does one begin with Doolittle? I don't know. I think you have to go back to like the dawn of man to like really begin to understand how we got here. Um, well, you know, let's, let's not go that far. Let's go to like, <laughs> right. so 
Uh, let me make sure I got my dates right here. So yeah, in in 1967, there was <laughs> a musical called Doctor Doolittle that was a. I, I think it it didn't do well at the box office or critically, but it was one of those movies that the studio, I believe, it was was it 20th Century Fox or was it Universal? I, I think it was Fox. Yeah, because, I, like yeah. going for that late era musical because everybody was trying to get in on those back then. Yeah, I mean, it was Richard Flesher and as a director. And it starred, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name, Rex Harrison. It was like this big epic musical that came out. And it was one of those things where it was like kind of joked about a lot, which kind of makes the irony of this movie being kind of derided critically and commercially all the more ironic. Uh, but it was a film that is just, I think just because like sheer force of will with Fox, where they just mm-hmm. like, no, we are going to make this movie successful no matter what. <laughs> and, uh, it, it got a best picture nomination seemingly just because Hollywood just like, look, we'll nominate your movie. Just keep, please shut up about this talking, this, this, uh, <laughs> doctor who talks to animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't seen the original Dr. Doolittle. Um, I'm more familiar with the property through the nineties, um, Eddie Murphy comedies. Uh, 90s and early 2000s, like, because I think the second one came out like 2002 or something. But, um, I I remember the Eddie Murphy movies being like fine, like kind of crass compared to the. They were very much kind of like back in that like when after sold movies, it was like let's have Eddie Murphy do like they spun a wheel and it was like Doctor Doolittle was like after that works. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I I mean I don't know. I I thought about rewatching it before um i got to this but i was just like i don't know like it i mean i i don't really have any strong feelings for dr doolittle one way or the other i don't think a rewatch is going to change uh my opinion on it i think it's just kind of fine for what it is but um kind of similar like i said to the original one there was these uh hopes from uh a few years ago now where they're like hey we're gonna make another dr doolittle movie it's gonna be called the voyage of dr doolittle and it's like everyone's like okay whatever and it's like uh what's his name steven gagan or gagan mm-hmm. yep. who, who uh is a pretty well-renowned screenwriter uh i think he won an oscar for traffic the soderbergh movie mm-hmm. but uh he has transitioned to directing throughout the past couple of years and uh i think he's most acclaimed or noteworthy film as a director is syriana which got george Clooney's oscar but it had, from what I can tell, a kind of troubled production. It, it mm-hmm. resulted in George Clooney getting a pretty serious back injury. And, oh, wow. Um, like, I think the point where he was like committing or like thinking of suicide and stuff like that. Holy cow. Yeah. It was, if you want to look up that, I'm, there's a lot of details about that, but um, not to really get into gossip. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, suffice to say, I, I guess this guy is kind of a, uh, a bit of a track record where he has prestige, but I think he has a reputation as well. He also mm-hmm. did Gold with Matthew McConaughey, which is one of those movies that kind of came and went. I haven't seen it. I haven't really thought about it either much. Um, but then, yeah, he was like really, apparently this was his passion project to make a Doolittle movie, a mm-hmm. Dr. Doolittle movie. And, uh, fairly early on, either like as production was going on or like near the end of production, he, I guess, unceremoniously got fired from the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's his name? The guy who did the 2014 uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Jonathan Liebesman. That's right. Yeah, he came on with uh, Chris McKay as a screenwriter uh, to basically salvage the movie because this was like a notorious disaster. It was like a film where it's like we had heard about this new Doolittle movie for a while, but it was like only just like that weird spreadsheet where it's just like faces of people involved. Mm-hmm. Just like this actor is going to play a voice in the movie. It was like a weird like family 
tree kind of setup mm-hmm. that was swimming around. And I was like, all we really knew or seen from the movie for a while. Then, like a couple months ago, like Universal really buried this. Uh, they released this trailer for the movie, and everyone was just like, "What? <laughs> like, what? What is this? Mm-hmm. Why? Oh, oh, this is this is Downey Junior.'s follow up to Endgame. This is what he's gonna leave the <laughs> Marvel movies for." And everyone was just kind of baffled mm-hmm. by it. But it was one of those things where it's like, I think it was more noteworthy for the story that was going around the movie because the trailer itself just was kind of generic from what I can recall. Yeah, it was very kind of like they were hiding it. Yeah, it just seemed like a kind of like, uh, you know, like average looking uh, family movie that mm-hmm. weirdly kind of took itself too seriously as far as the promotions were concerned. Like they were like trying to like set up this like, oh, I wonder if like, can you imagine a animal doctor who can talk to animals with all of your favorite Oscar winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the movie itself, uh, well, it ended up being something or another to say the least. Um, before I really get into my thoughts with it, Corey, I'm going to let you take the stage. Tell me what you thought of Doolittle. We talked about it off the air a little bit, but let the listeners know what you think of this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, there's Citizen Kane, there's Casablanca, sure. there's the Magnificent Ambersons, and I yeah. think it's kind Rashomon. of a mix. Rashomon, <laughs> um, you know, uh, recent films like The Social Network yeah. and Gravity. Like, I think it's like a mix of all of those films. Uh, no, it, it's bad. I mean, there's no reason to like play footsie because it's just like this movie is horrible, and I, I, it's just a. It's such a strange, like, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of like the zombification of all those just aggressively terrible big budget family films that people tried to make in like the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, where just, I don't know, something happened with the family film in that time where I think, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, the Doolittle film in 98 may have been a bellwether for this because that film was a big success but it was pg-13 mm-hmm. but it was also like one of those weird tweeners where like families were t- going to it it's eddie murphy like yeah they may have said like some pg curse words and kind of pushed the boundaries you know just enough to get that pg-13 rating but i don't know that movie was really successful and part of me wonders if like studios were looking at that and going like hey maybe we can try to make our family films a little more edgier. And there was this whole just like, you know, push for, you know, Charlie Ridgely, who's a good friend of mine and has been on the show before, um, writes for comic book. And in his review, he kind of name check like kangaroo Jack and daddy daycare. Mm -hmm. And I thought those were nice kind of comparison points for kind of where the family film went in late, the late nineties and the early thousands. Cause that's when we were kids. Like that's back when we were like nine, 10, 11, and we were kind of growing up and watching all those movies and bathroom humor was big, really lazy pop culture references, just like these strange lavish budgets for just really weird. Like, I don't know. It just, everything was strange about family films until like 2000 and, and they're still weird because this exists, but they, this type of movie I haven't seen in a long time. Like, I don't remember the last time a movie like Doolittle has come out that is just so erstwhile in its vision and it has no idea what it wants to be, but it also has a very strong idea of what it wants to be and it's a very bad idea. Um, I can see that the screenplay has been probably chopped up. Like, I can't imagine 
Stephen Goggin, who wrote Traffic and Syriana, writing a movie where a man talks to animals, and then having the guy that worked on the Lego Batman movie come in as very much a take a money for hire project and just do his best with what's there. Yeah. Um, I mean, this movie is atrocious, and I had a great time watching it. Like, sure. Don't mistake me. This is my cat. Like the feeling that everybody had in Cats, that I like had in the first thirty minutes of Cats, and then got bored with Cats and just like you know looked around the room waiting for it to be over. Um, I had this for as long as Doolittle was, which is one hundred and two minutes. So for one hundred and two minutes, I just sat wrapped in my seat, wondering what strange direction this film was going to go in next, uh, because I have a very I don't know. I have a very strong relationship with a lot of these just awful family movies when I was a kid because I went oh, to the so, movies so, so much. Like, yeah, no, you're you have done a whole podcast <laughs> yeah. dedicated to evaluating these films. Right. I mean, we're you and I are like the two doctorates of <laughs> yeah. we, we, we both deserve honorary degrees for. Uh, you should be a traveling lecturer on uh, Garfield <laughs> and the Cat sure. in the Hat. I don't know. This does remind me a lot of that Cat in the Hat movie because that was another Universal production yeah. that just had a bloated budget and had a troubled production. And like, yeah, but this movie sucks. Like, it is really, really bad. And it's like, it is such a bad performance for Robert Downey Jr. It reminds me a lot of the things Johnny Depp has done over the last like 15 years, like kind yeah. of in that where he lost like that I can do anything I want to vibe and then had to kind of go in towards like, I don't know. I always feel like Tim Burton is like Johnny Depp's best and worst enemy. And I feel like that Robert Downey Jr. has that potential because like he very much like Depp, like was a very well-respected actor that had kind of tapered out a little bit and then just hit. I mean, I think tapered out is kind of putting it kindly, (laughs) but I don't don't really want to get into his personal history, but yeah. Oh no. I mean, and then Depp's more was kind of like, he just hadn't done a big role in a while. And then Pirates of the Caribbean just launched him into the stratosphere. But obviously Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, becoming a mildly regarded character actor almost. And then just out of nowhere, John Favreau casts him in an Iron Man movie, which sounded interesting. And then it blew up into being the biggest thing that's been going on in cinema for the last decade. And arguably the most recognizable role of the last like 10, 12 years is Iron Man. That's not maybe Batman. Like, I mean, Iron Man has become like a cultural touchstone and it's because of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. And now Downey Jr. is one of the most powerful actors in Hollywood. It can basically do anything he wants, which is so strange. Like you said, that right after Avengers Endgame, which is the biggest movie of all time. And then which people thought that Downey Jr. deserved an Oscar, maybe like a nomination for that role. Uh, now he's doing, you know, do little. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I, we can definitely talk more about the specifics as we go on with this conversation. But my 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 diagnosis, if you will, is that this movie is uh, it's a, it's a turd. I mean, it's just a really, really, really weird, aggressively mishandled piece of crap. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm a little softer on the film in that, like like you had mentioned, I have a soft spot for these kind of mangled and mismanaged family movies. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's just something about a movie like this where like, I mean, to the film's credit, I was never bored watching it. I was pretty enthralled throughout. Like I, I think as you mentioned, I was constantly like, okay, where is this going to go next? Like, I knew, I mean, I know like the general plot, like the basics of it is pretty easy to follow, but like in terms of like what events would transpire with the characters and like what jokes they'd be doing, it's just like, we're okay. We're going to do a joke about that. Okay. We're going to like, have this character do this. Okay. Um, it just was like one of these movies where 
like you said, yeah, it feels like something that kind of feels from another era. It feels like the kind of family movie that we've like, especially now, like in our kind of more rigid producer friendly uh, movie making. So we seem to have kind of like gone away from like, uh, like Bond Dougals like this. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word right. But, um, but like, like movies that like just really just are clearly in like damage control mode. And are just like kind of just like throwing everything they can at the wall and seeing what can stick. To me, this is the type of film that feels like, you know, like in some anime movies, like they have like kind of like punch up writers or like comedians. Uh, Patton Oswald talked about this a good bit where like they come in and like they just kind of like throw like ADR jokes. So that, like, they kind of like, you know, like if like a movie's kind of like has like some low spots, it's just like, like just like where's some jokes that could come out here. And then like, like they kind of do that for like movies like Over the Hedge or like, you know, like, uh, Looney Tunes back in action, like stuff like that. They kind of like, you know, like just like easy jokes they can do. Like even if it's just like a fart noise, it's like stuff like that. It feels like Universal got like a group of comedians like that. And like instead of keeping like maybe five of their jokes, they like found a way like they, they got like a sheet of like 15 of the or like 50 of these jokes. And they're like, they gave it to screeners, like just put all these in the movie, just like wherever you can just put this joke in the movie. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, continuity wise, this doesn't really make sense. Like, why would an octopus say snitches getting stitches? It's like, just find a way. Uh, and it felt like, like everyone involved with this was just like trying to like figure out how they could salvage this movie either comedically or mm-hmm. just in terms of like making it an audience friendly film. And just like, yeah, it's just a like kind of fascinating film in that regard. And that like we have clearly uh, a bunch of different creative influences here. Like you said, I, I really don't know how much this movie can be credited to Stephen uh, Galligan or however you pronounce his last name. Because I'm pretty sure, I mean, from what we can gather from his original films, uh, I imagine his take on this was probably a lot more subdued and serious, uh, probably a little more uh, mild mannered as far as like what the approach was. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, put in fart jokes, put in drug jokes, put in a dick joke. Like it felt like, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine <laughs> this movie's uh, end result is anywhere near what he intended it to mm-hmm. be. But um, yeah, I, I could, you want me just to uh, like rattle some things that happen in this movie? <laughs> Let's do it, man. Yeah. Okay. So the movie starts, I mean, cause all my notes in the movie are just uh, things I just wrote down that happened just so I could remember them. Uh, so our movie starts with our child protagonist shooting a squirrel who then proceeds to want to murder the child who nearly took his life for the grand majority of the film. Uh, Dr. Doolittle gives CPR to a squirrel. Various exotic animals and domestic animals hold Dr. Doolittle down against his will, despite many protests, and proceed to force anesthesia on him and put him to sleep in order to groom him. Uh, An ant quotes the Godfather. A dragonfly flirts with a parrot and makes a dick joke, as I mentioned. A squirrel Mm. voiced by Craig Robinson prays for a child jumping from a high distance to commit suicide and fall to his death. A... (laughs) A polar bear throws a stick of dynamite into a building. Uh, as I mentioned, an octopus says snitches get stitches. Uh, a whale flips off a man. A polar bear claims that his father left him as a kid to get, quote, a pack of seals and then never came back, which is always, you know, a fun joke for the whole family to enjoy. Like, you know, something for the parents, I guess. Uh, you know, you know, child neglect is, I guess, uh, are back. Jokes about that are fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could keep going on. Some of these get a little bit spoilery, but, uh, yeah, I just, it just feels like a movie that is, uh, lacking any sense of coherent vision or any clear idea of what it wants to be. Uh, and I agree with you. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. Um, I think he's trying to do like a Welsh accent in this. Is that what he's trying to go for? It sounds like it, but it keeps like fluctuating. So it's like, sometimes it's Welsh. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the Sherlock Holmes British accent. 
Sometimes it's like an Irish Scottish mix. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what his investment in this project is. It seems like just from the, all the reshoots and all the different directions the movie's going, he was just like, I'm just going to try to ride this movie off of my charisma. Like I, I can't do character work with these, you know, conditions. So, uh, and you know, obviously like he's for the past 10 years, he's been playing basically the same character. So it's not like he has to do a lot of acting prep. So it just feels mm-hmm. like he's just like, what if I just get weird with it? Cause like, what else am I going to do with this? Uh, and yeah, it's a bad performance, but it is a fascinating performance for him. I mean, I really hope he goes back to making like a kiss, kiss, bang, bang, or, yeah, a Zodiac absolutely. or something that, you know, proves that he's, you know, an amazing actor. And he's got a relationship with Shane Black. So I'd love to see mm-hmm. Black's and that's like nice guys esque movie have yeah. Danny Jr. in it. Like that yeah. would be really encouraging. And Danny, I think him and his wife were producers on this. So I think they had mm-hmm. some influence on it. So it's not like he just kind of came as an actor. He, you know, had some creative say in this project. Yeah. I am. I was, I'm reading a wall street journal article that came out today or yesterday about the making of this movie. Oh, and yes, apparently, um, yeah, well, uh, Danny jr. Has one of those, uh, deals worked into the box office where he gets like a percentage of the earning. Right. So like universal is not going to make any money on this. Movie. No, they're not. And they've invested $175 million. Yeah. Um, this might even be a bigger flop than cats. It could be very yeah. much so. So they're they're having a bit of a tough spot. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, ironically, like I think we were talking about Queen Slim, that mm-hmm. might end up being more profitable, which was I think a well, it was like like a five ten million dollar film. Yeah, uh, that's going to be more profitable than Cats or Doolittle, probably. Yeah, uh, Universal made all of its money last year with Hobbs and Shaw, and then yeah. Us was very profitable for them for well, which, which is one? awesome. But Us, the Jordan. Peele oh yeah, film. yeah, Us, yeah. Yeah, I mean they have the Blumhouse thing, so I mean I think mm-hmm. honestly, yeah, they they're probably just better off doing like really small risk movies like that because mm-hmm. I mean otherwise they're gonna they're gonna go belly up in an instant. Well, uh, they have a big uh, they have two big movies coming out this year that are gonna make a ton of money. Um, Fast well, and three movies, uh, yeah, Fast and Furious, uh, Minions, more Minions, sure. and uh, the Trolls sequel. Okay. And you think they, Trolls gonna do well? I think so. The first Trolls, I think, made a lot of money. Okay. It was like so, as like a pretty like a kind of a sleeper hit almost. Sure. Well, I just mean, I, I guess I, because I um, never saw it actually. I've I've actually never seen a Trolls. It's not great, but I, I, the only reason I ask because uh, John and I we've talked about a decent bit. Like this past year in 2019, nearly all the animated sequels underperformed. Mm-hmm. So like including Lego Movie and How to Train Your Dragon yeah. and all this stuff, like, with the exception so. of uh, Toy Story Four, I think was the like one exception, and Frozen Two, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's uh, foretelling for what's going to happen with Trolls, but I definitely think be. Fast and Furious Nine, and and you know even though it's another sequel, I could see Minions Two doing well. Although whether or not culturally we have gone overload on Minions is a discussion in of itself. I feel like everyone's mm-hmm. kind of transitioned to Baby Yoda, so. Yes, right. very much so. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we continue talking about do do little or excuse me, just do little. Uh, but was there anything in particular you wanted to say about the film before we kind of wrap this conversation up? Do we do a spoilers conversation? Because I feel like we have to talk about that scene. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, if you I, don't want to know, yeah. I mean, if you if you're really caring about spoilers for Doctor Doolittle, um, I guess skip three minutes ahead. Um, <laughs> I I can assure you it's not going to take away from your experience to know this. 
Okay, so we'll do a spoiler countdown. Yeah, but yeah, let's do if you if you actually are seriously concerned about spoilers, we'll do a quick spoiler countdown. Um, sorry, uh, spoiler count in, or uh, spoiler talk <laughs> in three, two, one, go. All, All right. right, so the dragon scene. Sure. Um, right, so, I mean, in the trailer, they do show the dragon. Yes. So the dragon is say that. There is a dragon in this movie, and when they get to the climax of the film, uh, Dr. Doolittle uh, walks up to the dragon who's really upset that it's been woken up. Kind of a stereotypical angry dragon yeah. guarding treasure type thing. Did we talk about um, – who is the voice of that dragon, by the way? I never found oh, out. That's a very good question. It was not somebody big. I remember oh, it was, was like not? A, it kind of sounded a little bit like Cape Jet, but I was like, there's no way this Oh, it was Francis de la Tour. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was the, who's the Hagrid's girlfriend from uh, the she was like the the main person that did the, the Bobadins in Harry Potter, mm. and uh, she like had a side thing with Hagrid because they were both like super tall. Yeah, I was really happy. Like Hagrid deserved to have somebody, but yeah, you know, she's also the very like established you know wizard or witch in terms of running an entire school. We don't. Sure. <laughs> he's much more than Hagrid's girlfriend, but um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, so, she plays Ginkgo who soars, who is a fire breathing dragon, um, who uh, there's guarding this like magic fruit or something and uh, michael sheen's character who kind of plays the kind of composite villain for all the other people who lord, lord thomas bag no that's another one yeah lord, Dr. your typical Blair. stuffy british villain yeah exactly which is he's like i want the thing yeah i want the thing and i hate dr Doolittle because i hate the protagonist and i want the thing yeah exactly and my name is dr blair moon or something stupid and um, so his men and then Dr. Doolittle and his gaggle of animals and that kid that's with him for no reason. Yeah, they never really – there's no point to that kid in the in this No, movie. not at all. Um, he just kind of shows up to keep Robert Engineer from going crazy on set from having to act on so many like well, pictures of animals. <laughs> I mean that's the thing is that like I guess like, – I mean that, that seems like something that was a carryover from the original script is that yeah. the kid was probably like the like eyes through which the audience can see this like mystical man and stuff like that. There's like they're kind of going at first for this kind of like Willy Wonka thing where he's like locked yeah. away from the world and stuff, and um, I think that was the intent. And there's also like a like a um, other young protagonist, uh, like a young girl that kind of just like is at the beginning of the film and she's like, "All right, you guys go on your adventure. I'm going to stay with this queen." And then like <laughs> yeah. never really plays it a factor into the... Wild Rose, like a wonderful actress. Oh yeah, I was going to mention yeah Jesse Buckley, who yeah like you said one of the like most talented up and coming actresses. Also had a great role in Chernobyl, and you know she's gonna be in the new season of Fargo. Uh, literally spends the whole Charlie movie. Charlie Kaufman too. What's that? The new Charlie Kaufman film. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's like the lead. She took over for Brie Larson. Yep. Um. Yeah. So she, very talented actress, clearly you know on the rise, spends this whole movie without exaggeration laying in a bed. She never stands on her feet in this movie. And nope. furthermore, her majority of scenes, like I think maybe only with the exception of one scene. She is like unconscious and barely alive throughout this entire movie. <laughs> and I, that is without exaggeration. Like your character is on the fringes of life. <laughs> and that's who they got. They got one of our talented young up and coming. Ta- it would be like getting like Brie Larson in like 2014 to mm. like play this. Role. And this movie also or Emma Stone or something. Marion Cotillard, who has won an Academy Award 
She plays a, a fox, fox named Tutu, yeah. who is in the movie for roughly two minutes. Yeah, she says, like, Viva la Resistance. That's, like, one of, like, four lines that the, the fox has. <laughs> and then um, uh, Selena Gomez is Betsy the Friendly Giraffe, who's also in the movie for two minutes. Yeah, she. I think she literally had, like, one line, right? Mm-hmm. Two lines, maybe? Yeah, maybe. They, she literally serves a function of getting one person to one place, and that's it. Yeah, and the fox has no reason to be there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the fascinating thing. Is like That's another thing that feels like a carryover from like the mid-2000s, where it's like anime movies, like DreamWorks and stuff, used to have like all these celebrity voices in their cast just because it like could look good on a poster, but like they really don't play much of a role. Like, yeah, like like with the exception of maybe like Rami Malek's uh, gorilla character... And then Chi-chi. John Cena, yeah, Chi Chi, and then um, <laughs> uh, I forget the the polar bear that John Cena voice. Yoshi, Yoshi, oh yeah, Yoshi, and then I know Dab Dab is uh, Octavia Spencer, <laughs> who always confuses items for celery. For Which yeah, is a bit that goes nowhere. Like even my test audience <laughs> was dead silent when that joke was going on. And speaking of celery, we yeah, have so to the get celery to, is the dragon. Yeah, so after this massive detour, uh, Frances de la Tour from Harry Potter voice the dragon, and she's really upset. So Doctor Doolittle like has to figure out a way to like coax her into letting them have the magic fruit. Yeah. So he like does a health examination on her, and I guess realizes that things yeah. are not going well downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> there is some sort of a problem. Intestinal with, distress. Uh, yeah. Yes, intestinal distress, a very adult way to put this. Um, so he performs like an emergency rectal surgery on yeah. the dragon. Using and a piece of celery provided by Dab Dab. <laughs> yeah, Dab Dab the duck waddles over with a piece of celery. He's like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he shoves a piece of celery into this dragon's butthole and cleans out goodness knows what like a yeah. skeleton i'm really surprised armor. that um they didn't have like the reaction shot of the dragon like why like like when the seller goes like ooh, <laughs> it's like such an early 2000 thing that they could have done that they didn't oh yeah do. i mean it's like he's performing a colonoscopy on this fire-breathing dragon it would be like if, of- if like in the first shrek movie <laughs> like shrek was just like oh we need to give this dragon emergency heart surgery don't get <laughs> Had me my scalpel. <laughs> and then the dragon, uh, you know, it's like growls at them for yeah. being too. Yeah. So he performs this surgery, pulls all these inanimate objects out of this dragon's butt. And then and you, including I, a human skeleton, a human skeleton, because obviously we all know bones don't digest well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then it's, it's like all, corn to a dragon, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, that's a crude that's a crude joke. I apologize. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We were in elementary school. They used to have us um, dissect owl pellets, oh, which man. is the only way, which is like essentially an owl's fecal matter to look for bones. Which I don't know if that was just I'm from Nashville, so I don't know if that's just a weird Southern thing we did in elementary school. But um, I guess I kind of had experience doing this. I've inspected an animal's crap as well at some point. In my did you use a piece of celery. Uh, no, I did not actually. We used uh, probably like tweezers or something. Uh, okay. I think we used our hands. It was really, uh, it was different. But, um, so it's all, she gets it all cleared out and then it's capped with this ferocious fart. Yeah. That is just like Shrek level, just loud. And he, she farts. Like the lip right. shaking, like the cheek <laughs> yeah. shaking. I mean, like a <laughs> exactly. squirrel flies on a wall. 
And it goes right in Doctor in Doctor Doolittle's face. I mean, yeah. it's just like and he yeah. obviously gives the old fashioned, you know, hand wave. Woof! That's disgusting. Yeah, but he also does like oh, everyone does it, you know. <laughs> that's right. He tries not to fart, Jamer. <laughs> he tries not to make her feel bad for passing gas. And then it all caps out with a bagpipe flying out of the dragon's butt. I guess is the final clogged. Um, yeah, item. I guess you say. And then doesn't the dragon like and uh blow out fire and like uh exclaim like for like being free of the um the distress or whatever? So, I, I don't yeah, know. exactly. So he like, you know, expresses gratitude for having her anus cleaned out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean oh, and that's work. the thing, like I know this sounds <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the movie. This is a hundred and seventy five million dollar family film from Universal starring one of Hollywood's most profitable actors. Yeah, one of the few Um, remaining A-list stars at this point. Yes, and this is actually the lead of the Wall Street Journal story, is this scene. Um, They said that in the pivotal scene in Universal Pictures Doolittle, uh, a character played by Robert Downey Jr., who can converse with animals, relieves an ordinary beast's indigestion by removing debris from its rectums. Flatulence jokes ensue. This scene was added late to the filmmaking process, one of several efforts from Comcast to try to ensure a return on the $175 million invested in the family-friendly movie. I mean... Because I guess the first version of this movie was too... It was like too dark or something. Yeah, that sounds right. It feels like like the original version was probably like too dark and too dramatic. Like I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine like the original version is having like that many jokes. Cause it's not like you know like like Syria is a pretty serious movie, and uh, from what I can tell, so is Traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Traffic is not like laugh a minute. Like there's right. not there's no fart jokes in Traffic. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh didn't believe in that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that doesn't surprise me at all, honestly. I would not be surprised if Comcast was like, we need to add something here. And like Game of Thrones was going on. They're like, can we have a dragon? It's like, what, <laughs> a, a dragon, sir? Yeah, you know, dragons are hit right now. Get Put put a dragon in there. And, and like, make her fart. Yes. It's this like, will yes, save this film. There's no farting in this movie yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, look, like I said, I wasn't bored. Mm-hmm. I, there's nothing in this movie that will make you feel at all uh, unengaged. <laughs> I mean, it's an experience. Yes, it is. It is a it's unforgettable experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, it is. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, you could forget. I mean, I've been. I feel like I've said this about like two or three films recently, but I can see. I mean, as we alluded to earlier, if there is a uh, two or three generations down the road version of any ogre Toots ogre. Where kids f- coming up of age uh, now watch this movie, and then like a couple years later look back and it's like oh, that movie was kind of weird, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Like you guys remember that movie was that was very weird. Like yeah, that was pretty weird. And they can watch it twelve times in a given year. I hope they have that experience with this film. Uh, not me though. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm too grown to have such an experience with this film. Uh, t- for them, I wish them nothing but Godspeed. Uh, yeah. So anything else about Doolittle? You want to give your grade? Yeah, I would probably go like a. I don't want to say an F because I feel like that F are reserved. Yeah, yeah. I guess an F is like what you give to like epic movie or something. Like I'm not gonna give it an like F. to what? Um, so. uh, like epic movie, like oh, one of oh yeah, films. yeah. Sorry, I thought you said Rudy. Like, I was <laughs> yeah, like, Rudy. Oh, he's like that's kind of harsh. <laughs> I didn't know you had such a f- hard. Uh... I hate Rudy. Yeah. 
he should have never been let on that field uh, now. I've actually never seen Rudy. Yeah, I haven't um, seen Rudy. I, either. I, um, I would probably say a D. I think it's a D movie. I think it's like it's just so dumb and stupid, but it's also like you say, like I wasn't bored. I was engaged with the strangeness of it. Um, it's got like a really interesting animated opening that I really liked. Actually. Yeah, actually, I, I, I really like cool. that. I don't know. Yeah, because like when the animated opening, uh, when the anime opening was going, I was like, "Is this actually going to be good?" <laughs> and then yeah, exactly. clearly that was like, clearly that didn't last long. <laughs> oh, no. like the second that they made like a crass joke, it was like, oh, okay. I'm sort of into, but um, yeah, I would say a D. I don't, I don't have any desire to watch it. Is it an objectively bad film? But it's not like I don't know. But that's about what I would give cats would be a D. I mean, it's just like, it's there. D for Doolittle? Mm-hmm. A D for Doolittle. Yes, very good. A D, D for, for uh, A D for Dr. Doodoo, which is said by uh, a, a, a hair with an eye patch that's voiced by Will Arnett. That's correct. Help Prisoner. Um, that's right. Help Prisoner. Yeah. That, that, that had to be a late addition. You can just see that scene being yeah. added at the last minute. I feel like that that character was like lifted from something else. I've seen that like look that character design before in something, but I can't put my finger on what it is. Like, is that something from Peter Rabbit or something? Maybe that like Ice uh, Age, like it's something. Yeah, I, I just I know I've seen yeah, that character design is, somewhere. That scene has to have been added by Chris McKay because McKay and Arnett worked on Batman, so I'm sure oh, Chris McKay was like, "Hey, look, man, if you're yeah. like twenty thousand, I need a favor, bud." <laughs> Yeah, come in and voice this one-eyed rabbit who talks about doo-doo. Well, it's like, doo-doo? I mean, I got, I got kids to pay for. So yeah. That's fine. <laughs> that Arrested Development money's running out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was between a C and a C minus, truth be told. Uh, maybe just because my appreciation for how uh, forthright it um, tries to keep things consistently moving. Uh, kept me. I don't know, maybe just because my brain's polluted by rewatching The Cat in the Hat several times at this point, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a bad time watching it, but it's undeniably a bad film, so uh, it, it would be hard to see otherwise. I'll probably, you know what, I'm gonna go see Minus on it, just because it's, it's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> uh, but, it is very. But I don't know, I admire how bad it is. I admire the type of bad it is, at least. So, uh, yeah, with that, um, I guess I'll just go real quickly into a, uh, brief review for Bad Boys for Life, because we are getting a little long here. Um, Bad Boys for Life is the long-awaited sequel to the Bad Boys franchise, once directed by Michael Bay. The first installment was in 1995. The second installment was in 2003. This one has been promised since, I believe, 2013. I think it's when Martin Lawrence first uh, announced they're going to make this movie. And then it's been kind of on the back burner for Sony for a while. Uh, it's no secret that Sony's been really exhausting a lot of their existing IP for sequels and reboots and things like that. Uh, we've seen that with like the Spider-Man franchise. We've seen that with most recently Men in Black. We've seen that with Ghostbusters now twice. Uh, and now we're he- seeing it with a uh, overdue sequel for... Uh, the bad boys film. Uh, now I guess I should mention that I didn't really grow up with these movies initially. I just saw them for the first time this week. Um, the first one, as I was telling you earlier off the air, just feels like a Jerry Bruckheimer production where they wanted Tony, Tony Scott to direct it. He was unavailable. So they're like, who else could we get? Well, there's this hotshot young music video director. Uh, he's name, his name is Michael Bay. Maybe he can do it. Sure enough. He did it. He got his career going in filmmaking. The rest is obviously history. Then several years later, uh, 
post I-11 in 2003, we have a sequel that is basically pure Bayhem, which is just a nonsense two and a half hour action frenzy that I would say probably from what I can gather is like maybe my favorite Michael Bay movie, which uh, may not be saying much, but I, I do think there is something to be valued in just how ludicrous that movie is. And unfortunately, I feel like that's something that's ultimately pretty lacking with this third film. Um, to the movie's credit, it does seem to have some self-awareness. Uh, it, it involves the characters now basically in their early to mid-50s, recognizing that they're no longer young men, that they have more time behind them than in front of them. Martin Lawrence's character is the family man of the group, or the, the, the duo, and he is uh, recently become a grandfather. Therefore, he's no longer really looking to be in this intensive police work. And he's looking to retire, and he wants his partner and best friend, played by Will Smith, to be doing the same. But Will Smith's character is like, he kind of lives for this. He's still a bit of a bachelor, even in his 50s, and he just really enjoys his work. He doesn't really want to be uh, putting it on the back burner. He doesn't have really any need to be in retirement. But some tragic circumstances happen, and uh, his life and livelihood are basically put on the line, and he has to convince Martin Lawrence's character to uh, get back into the swing of things to take down this pair of criminals that has a personal connection to Will Smith's character. Now, uh, the movie itself, I mean, I guess notably compared to Doolittle is, you know, more competently made <laughs> uh, considerably, uh, you know, especially compared to recent Michael Bay films. And uh, even though, like I said, Michael Bay didn't direct this one, it was um, a duo, like a brother paired or I don't know if they're actually brothers or not. I know it's like two directors who I'm not familiar with. Otherwise, I'll look up their names real quick, but um, they certainly handle the things competently. Like it's a fairly well made film as far as what this is going for. But it just doesn't really have any personality to it. And it's a problem. It's a common problem. I feel with a lot of Sony movies recently where they take movies that are very filmmaker driven. Like you have obviously like the Spider-Man movies with Sam Raimi. And then you have a like film like, uh, what was it? Men in black with Barry Sonnenberg or Sonnenfeld. Uh, and then you have the Michael Bay movies with bad boys. And then you get, you know, basically these other directors that come in, in the case of Spider-Man, you had Mark Webb. In the case of uh, um, Man in Black, you had F. Gary Gray. And then you also have now these two directors, uh, Adele M. Bello, I believe is how you pronounce their last names. I or pronounce their, their duo name. Um, look up to see if there's anything they've done that I am not familiar with. But um, they're a pair of young up-and-coming filmmakers. I guess the their original film was called Gangsta from 2018. He also did the pilot for Snowfall and then the Wiz Khalifa music video, When I Grow Up. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of like on the rise and, you know, they handle it as well as they think they could, but it just doesn't really have any distinctive visual style that really separates it uh, from many other blockbusters of late. I think what really stands out more is just that the chemistry between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith stays pretty strong here. They definitely uh, embody these characters pretty well. And I think they have that camaraderie still. It feels like, you know, like it doesn't feel like a lot of time has been spent away from them. It just feels like we're just catching up with them later, which is the intent of the film. And I think in that sense, they do a good job. And I think they help to kind of patch over some of the more messy aspects of the film. But ultimately, like I said, I guess... I can see why it's getting decent reviews, but I'm kind of baffled all the same because I just found it to be a fairly mediocre January movie. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with that, and I could definitely see it being a crowd pleaser, but I guess for me, I just, I guess I was expecting something a little bit more than what we got here. And I know that 
for a while, Joe Carahan was involved with this. Uh, he was the guy who did The Grey and Smoking Aces, among other films. And um, I don't know what his version of the film would have been, but I feel like it probably would have been a little bit more stylish and creatively interesting than what we got here. But in the end, you know, it's fine. It's an okay movie. I'd give it a C plus. I wanted to give it a B for Bad Boys, but unfortunately, I'm not quite there with it. Um, you know, it is what it is. I kind of wish we could talk about it more if you had seen it, Corey, but I also don't know if I really recommend it overall, but... Oh, well. <laughs> Interesting. I can provide some box office news. It's sure. apparently going to make $65 million. Yeah, it hurts me about that. Yeah, yeah we're, we're recording this on, and then, on Friday, we should uh, note. Yeah. Yeah. And Doolittle is going to probably come in third. <laughs> How much is it it's projected just, to make? Um, right now, over the four-day, like 22 to $28 Oh, that's actually more than I anticipated. Yeah, it's actually not. I'm sure Danny Jr. and like families. I'm, this is going to be like, this yeah. is the family movie they go see right now. So because, they, they put it in a really yeah. nice date, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean this kind of, is going to. Yeah, sorry. No, I mean, I don't know if this is going to have legs. This is the thing. Oh, like, no. no, 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 it won't. But um, no, I can no. what you mean. Because, like, you know, by this point, probably most families have already seen Frozen 2 and uh, Star Wars and stuff. And so this would be something new for them to see. And I mm-hmm. guess they're not really seeing spies in disguise. So no, no, no one saw spies in disguise. Did it flop? I, I think so. Let me see how much it made. I, I haven't even seen it. And actually, every animated movie that comes out. I mean, I, I it, it's one of those movies I saw and then I mostly forgot about. Even though I would say the three um, Will Smith movies from the past four months, that was the one I liked the most. Okay, so right now, as of the fifteenth, it's made fifty-five million dollars domestic. And then 61, it's made like a worldwide total of like 116 million, which is like it broke even, I guess. Yeah, it's like very mediocre, I guess. Yeah, for especially for animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, All spies in disguise. Yeah, they're maybe a little too disguised. Yeah, not no Reba McIntyre People aren't seeing them. in this. Oh, yeah, she has a pretty prominent part. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, fascinating. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, Bad Boys for Life. I don't really have much more to say other than that. Um, although I will say, I mean, it is not quite as frantic as the other, uh, bad boys film, bad boys too, but I guess it's kind of appropriate given the more age and wistful characters here, but I still mm-hmm. kind of wish it had a little more style than what we got, but what are you going to do? It's a what are you going to do? Yeah. What you going <laughs> to do? Exactly. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? All right. So next week, uh, that's, that's a good transition as any of us we're going to get, um, before we get on to another tangent, uh, we got The Gentleman coming up, which is the new Guy Ritchie movie. Uh, this is one that he wrote in addition to directing. Uh, not a director for hire at this point, like he was for Aladdin or King Arthur. This is a uh, un film de Guy Ritchie in the full sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it already came out internationally in some markets. It seems to be getting moderate to good reviews. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see that one. Although I don't know if that will be the main review for next week or if it will be The Turning which is the new horror film with uh, Brooklyn Price. or Is it Price or Prince? Prince, I think. Prince, yeah, who uh, is best known for The Floyd Project. And we also have Mackenzie Davis in here, as well as Finn Wolfhard. And we also have The Last Full Measure, which is like some war movie that got delayed a couple of times, and now it's supposed to be coming out. Uh, I saw a trailer for before it for Richard Jewell. It looks pretty generic, but I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. And then we were talking earlier, uh, apparently... The new film from the director of Searching is supposed to come out next week called Run, but um, I haven't seen any marketing for this at all. There's no trailer out. We looked for it, and 
I mean, if, if this is coming out, they're really burying the marketing for it. And so I, I'm pretty sure it's going to get delayed, but for some reason it's still on the calendar for next week. So there is a chance that it might come out next week, though it seems uh, not in their best interest to release it with so little marketing, but that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, just some outro stuff. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can also hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. And also be sure to email us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And that'll do it. Corey, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely, Will. This is always a treat. And we always seem to time it when I come on the show for stuff like Doolittle. Which oh, is yeah. Like, planned. We don't yeah. want to put John through that. Yeah. Like, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we didn't really specify. I mean, I don't know if I, it's my right to say what's going on with John, but he has some things in his life that are much more important than seeing Doolittle. So we'll take the reins, I guess. I mean, I'm more than happy to. He's talk finally about seeing cats. Yes, exactly. Finally saw cats. He needed a weekend the process. Time the process. Yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, man, but you know, it's always fun to talk about these movies, and it's always a blast to talk to you too. So I can't wait to have you back on again. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come on anytime. Nice. All right, with that, I think that's as good a place any to leave it. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. And from the internet, Nashville, I'm Corey Woodruff. All right, see you, everybody. See ya. Yeah.